Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and then 12 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Good morning to everyone. We're in a series on the book of Exodus. We've been camped out in the Ten Commandments for a few weeks now. We'll, we'll wrap that up. It'd probably be, there'd be value of looking at each of these individually. Uh, it would, would take us quite a while. So what I want to do today is I want to focus in on these last six. And what people who have studied the Ten Commandments have long observed is that there's this, this division between the first four and the last six, the first four have this vertical orientation to them. So they are focused on uh, the Israelites' relationship with God, this vertical relationship. And then there's this shift in the last six, and we start to see then a horizontal orientation to these commandments. They are related, they're instructing the Israelites, how are they to live with each other? How are they to treat uh, their neighbor? And what I want to do today is I want to focus in um, on those, and I want to look at two things. I want to look at, one, how... Negatives can actually be positive, and how, secondly, how Jesus reveals to us the positives beneath the negative. So let's start with uh, the negative, how negatives can be positive. A quick glance at these last six commandments, and um, they sound, well, pretty negative, right? It's, it's one thou shall not after another. And, and, you know, think about how strange this sounds, particularly to our modern ears. The, the Ten Commandments begin with, with God reminding the Israelites how he has freed them from slavery in Egypt. Okay, so they're free people. Now that you're free people, I want to tell you all the things you cannot do. Right? It's, it's a little bit strange. It, it reminds me a little bit, my kids do some work, they, they clean the church, they earn money, the older two, and, and part of my motivation is saying to them, hey, you, you know, this is going to be your money. You've earned it, you can do whatever you want. But then as soon as they want to buy something, I'm like, no, you, you can't get that. <laughs> yeah, see, Jude, Jude has affirmed that as true. So it's something I need to work on. Um, <laughs> but here's, here's what we need to see here. God is not trying to crush the Israelites with all this regulations and red tape and rules. God's actually trying to do the opposite. God wants to help free people remain free. Okay, so remember just, I mean, it's only been in our story a couple months at this point. A couple months ago, the Israelites were in slavery. 400 years, we read, that their people were enslaved. So slavery was what they knew. Slavery was what their parents knew and their grandparents knew and their great-grandparents and on and on and on for generation after generation. And if you're with us last week, you, we saw that how this pattern of sin has a way of moving, or these patterns have a way of moving through uh, the generations, and so now that the Israelites, they have this background of 400 years of slavery, now all of a sudden they're having to learn to live as free people. 
Think about this as a, as a parent or anybody who works with children. One of the uh, advices that you read in, in parenting blogs and parenting books and everything is, is that it, you don't always want to just tell the child what they can't do. Okay? That's sometimes my, my tendency. Like I think a lot of the experts say you, you want to redirect the child, right? So, for example, like the kid's just like chucking wooden blocks, and rather than just say, like, hey, stop chucking those blocks, you say, uh, why don't we throw Nerf balls instead? Right? That's like more like modern parenting, and uh, I don't always maybe get that one right, but there's, there's value to that, right? But there's also, I think, value in just telling the child no. Like, if you don't, if you cross the street, uh, if you swallow this battery, this is going to be very bad for you, right? Another way to think about these uh, thou shall nots is, is think about guardrails. You know, as you're driving, particularly around us in Ohio, um, there's guardrails all over the place. Maybe you don't even notice them, okay? You, there's a, a grassy shoulder to the side, and even if you were to go off that road, it doesn't seem like the consequences would be that severe. But, but drive, as I'm sure some of you have, and as we did last summer in Colorado, on these extremely narrow roads on the sides of mountains— where just literally a couple feet from you is a thousand-foot drop-off, and all of a sudden that guardrail becomes your best friend, okay? Nobody, as they're driving, looks at that guardrail and says, you know, that, that guardrail is kind of cramping my style. You know, if I, if, I, if I want to have the right to drive off this cliff, I should have the freedom to drive off this cliff. Every one of these commandments uh, that's part of these, these thou shall nots in this last part of the second commandment, honoring your father and mother, uh, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing. These are, in a sense, like guardrails for the Israelites. Okay? They are set in place for their benefit, and even more so for the benefit of their neighbors, for the entire society, their community. Uh, you know, one of the questions, I alluded to this a few weeks ago, that is an understandable question, is do these, these Ten Commandments, are they still relevant for us today as Christians? And I think, I think the answer is, I've been really working through these, is yes, they are. I think one of the biggest reasons is that essentially, there might be a little bit particular on the Sabbath command, there's a little variation, but essentially in the New Testament, we have every one of these commandments that's reaffirmed. Okay, that's probably the biggest reason why I think they're, they're, they're relevant to Christians today. We see these pop up again in the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, and in the letters and other books in the New Testament. But beyond that, the, the church has long recognized the value of these Ten Commandments. So, uh, in one of the early, the catechism, catechism is a training, it's a instruction for children, for converts to Christianity. You go through the, the basic beliefs uh, for, for Christianity. One, one of the earliest catechisms we have is called the Didache, and you can put that slide up, Ron. Uh, Didache means teaching in Greek, and this was, this was pretty early on, they're not for sure, but somewhere around the turn of the first century. So, you know, 60 years after Jesus, 50 years after Jesus, not that long, very, very early, relatively speaking, uh, in the church's life. And I want you to notice what uh, is that there's this really pretty short document, but it, it kind of tries to take Christianity and try to make it condensed so that people who are converting to Christianity understand the, the basics of the faith. And here's the, from chapter 2. I'll read this. Just kind of listen to how this sounds to your ears. And this is the second commandment of the teaching. You shall do no murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not corrupt boys. You shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not deal in magic. You shall do no sorcery. You shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill them when born. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. You shall not perjure yourself. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not speak evil. You shall not cherish a grudge. You shall not be double-minded or double-tongued. I want you to notice a couple things. First, I think it's pretty obvious there's a lot of overlap between this uh, instruction to early Christian to Christians and the, the Ten Commandments. But also notice how there's all these like bam, 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 short, concise, you shall nots. Okay, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's easier for us to remember commands that are really short and concise and clear. And I think it's uh, it was very important for these converts to realize that as you, as you move into the way of Jesus, there's going to be clear things that you are going to have to stop doing, that you cannot do in the way of Jesus. And those are going to contrast with the way of the world. And, and these thou shall nots, as they learned them, that would have cemented in their minds what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And I think it's important for new converts, the thou shall nots. I also think it's uh, important for us that have been in the church most of our whole lives. Because it kind of takes us back to basics. It's kind of like, like spring training in a, in a sense. We need to kind of go back to these basics. For the new converts, like they need to know, again, there are clear differences between the way of Jesus and the way of the world. Okay? This is not particularly popular these days. Um, you know, I, one person pointed out that in some ways the church is like a pinball. Okay, we're always bouncing back and forth from legalism on one side to uh, throwing all the rules out on the other side. Just imagine a pinball kind of bouncing back and forth. There's been periods of the church where, I bet some of you probably felt this growing up, where it sounded like the essence of your faith was just things you don't do, right? Okay, you don't wear this type of clothing. You don't play this type of game. You don't do this type of activity, Right? Does, anybody, does that resonate anybody with a little bit? There's a problem when, when, when we try to distill our faith and all we get is thou shalt not. Okay? That's one side of that panel. But there's also a problem when we throw out the rules. Because okay? some of the things that Jesus, instru- like Jesus is going to tell us lots of things we're not supposed to do too. Okay? And a lot of those things as you move into the faith are just not going to make that much sense. Okay, early on, you're going to think, why, do, why is Jesus asking me these things? What, what the journey of faith entails is you start to obey Jesus, and a lot of times you begin to understand the wisdoms of the thou shalt nots much later on. But here's the deal. I think there's also, um, there's also those who have been in the church all their lives need these thou shalt nots for a reason as well, because they're so clear. It's like what... Elizabeth was saying, like, really, sometimes it's really helpful if something is just crystal clear, okay? And, and sometimes the challenge and for preachers like myself um, is we can be really good at taking really simple things, like really simple commands, and, and I'll take 30 minutes to explain it to you, and, I, and I'll tell you all the cultural background and the historical background, I'll tell you the, what it means in the original language, and I'll tell you a bunch of illustrations, and by the end of the sermon, we will not have any idea what I'm talking about. Right? I won't know what I'm talking about, and you probably won't know what I'm... And, like, you don't need to say amen if that's happened before. I'm sure, I'm sure it has. See, the challenge with the Ten Commandments is not that they're hard to understand. It's that they're actually a bit too clear sometimes. I mean, I'll just take one. I can't go through each of these. But think about how many preachers, how many church leaders, with all their charisma, with all their talents, with all their vast Bible knowledge... Like, these people know their Bibles inside and out. 
what they needed more than anything was a sermon that went like this, don't commit adultery. Like seriously, don't commit adultery. No, really, seriously, don't commit adultery. I mean, we, we see this pops up in the news all the time. These people know their Bibles inside and out, and yet they refuse <laughs> to heed to this one command. And, and when they bust through that rail, right, think of the damage not just to their family, to, to other families, but, but think of the damage we've seen to church communities when that guardrail is busted through, okay? So here's my first point. Yet the Ten Commandments contain a lot of negatives, we need to see that there's positive beneath the negatives. God knows for us as individuals and communities, we need these guardrails. We need these clear boundaries which keep us on the road. Okay. That being said, guardrails are not enough. Okay? Commands about what we're not to do are good and necessary, but they are insufficient. They're not enough. I want to turn to the New Testament because Jesus is going to show us uh, why they're not enough. In, in Mark's Gospel, a well-known passage, a rich man comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you can I think, put up the next slide here, Ron. Uh, this is Jesus' response, well-known response. <clears throat> you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Right? Does this sound familiar? Jesus is taking those last, uh, that last portion, that last and he's essentially repeating them. Okay, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, uh, you know, a long time ago we had these thou shalt nots, and they were, they were really negative. They were kind of downers. And now we're more enlightened, and so we, we don't want to be so legalistic, so we just kind of got rid of the thou shalt nots. That's not at all what Jesus says. The guy, the guy, he confirms I'm doing all these things, and Jesus is like, great. Okay, keep not doing those things. But Jesus says you need something else. And later on in Matthew 22, he's going to lay that out, uh, what that is. And it, it clearly in response to a, a teacher who says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Um, okay, here, yeah, here's the one. Okay, this is the one um, I want you to see here on the slide. Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So there's, there's something like 613 commands in the Torah, and Jesus is saying when you distill all that down, when you really get to the essence of what is at those commands, you get two things. You get love of God, and you get love of neighbor. And we talked about how the, the first commandments, we've spent two weeks on those first couple commandments, these are very focused on the vertical relationship with God. Okay, now we've got these six that are focused on the horizontal. So we see that Jesus, uh, in giving these two greatest commandments, he has a very similar division as the Ten Commandments, right? He's got the vertical, love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you know, all those laws and prophets, they hang on these two commands. Okay, I want you to notice, Jesus is not getting rid of the, the guardrails. He's just recognizing that guardrails aren't enough, okay? The guardrail can tell you what not to do, but the guardrail can't tell you what you are to do. And Jesus takes the thou shalt nots and he turns them into thou shalls. He turns them into positive commands. Okay, he recognizes the law is good and valid, but he recognizes that there's a law beneath the law. There's something else beneath those 10 commandments and that is love. Go back to the example uh, of children and the necessity of thou shalt nots. 
Okay, being, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, I think there's a place for thou shall nots in, in raising children. But what happens if your child uh, or your student gets to the class, your child grows up and leaves home, and all they have is thou shall nots? That's all you've given them. Like, would you say you've succeeded as a parent or a teacher? I would say no. I'd say you, you, you've not done what you need to do. You, you got off to a good start, but you haven't prepared that student, that child, for the complexities and scenarios that are coming in their lives. The Ten Commandments are a good start, right? They're especially a good start for people who've lived uh, in slavery for 400 years, but they're not an end because there's something beyond them. There's a, a law beneath the law. See, one of the things the Ten Commandments, uh, about the Ten Commandments is that we can, we can hold those commandments up to ourselves uh, and we look pretty good. Let me just take my last week here. Do not murder. Good, right? Wouldn't be standing here probably if that one. Didn't do that. Didn't commit, don't commit adultery. Good there. Don't steal. Good there. Don't covet. This one's borderline. Uh, I was over by Mary Rogers' house yesterday, and I saw a Tesla in her driveway, and I thought it was Mary's, and I was coveting that Tesla. Turns out it's not. But there's like a borderline. There might have been borderline coveting that happened yesterday. But I still, that's like a 90%, right? Like an A minus. It's not bad. You know, the thing about those commandments, too, is I can, I can hold them up to myself, but I can also hold them up to everybody else around me. And I can see how they're doing with those Ten, ten Commandments. And, and when I see that they're falling short, but I'm succeeding, that makes me feel good about myself. I feel righteous, right? I feel like I'm fulfilling the law. But think about this. Have you ever met, this is kind of a rhetorical question, because I'm sure you have. Have you ever met somebody who was really, really, really good at following the rules? Really, really good at following the commandments. And maybe they, like, in one way or another, not afraid to let you know that they're really good following the rules. All, all you want to do is run away from that person, right? Like, nobody wants to typically be around that person. So you can be super good at following all the rules, all the commandments, and you can fail at the test of love. You can fail miserably at the test of love. Okay, it's not, again, it's not that Jesus is opposed to negative commandments. Jesus is in favor of guardrails. In fact, Jesus thinks they're essential. They're just not enough. Okay, think about, think about the Gospels with me. I mean, this is kind of a, I mean, this is what I think about frequently. Who, who seems to drive Jesus crazy? Like, just exasperate Jesus to no end. Is it prostitutes? Does Jesus meet prostitutes? He's like, you just exasperate me. What about, like, lie, people that lie for a living or tax collectors? Jesus, does Jesus want to just pull his hair out when he meets them? What about, like, a woman caught in adultery? Does that exasperate Jesus? I don't see that. I don't see Jesus really worked up. I don't see, he also doesn't, can, he, doesn't can, he doesn't say what they're doing is good. He makes it clear that there needs to be a radical change in their life, but it just doesn't seem to drive Jesus crazy. The people who seem to just exasperate Jesus to no end are the people who are following the rules to a T and whose hearts are far from God. Okay, Matthew 23 uh, Jesus just kind of starts going off on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he has these series of woes. And, and often we think, think of like Pharisees, we're like, oh, those are the bad guys. No, those are not the bad guys. Those are the guys that care deeply about the law. Those are the guys that care deeply about their faith. They care deeply about living a morally upright life. These are like the religious conservatives of the day. I identify with these guys in many, many ways. And Jesus is just going off on these guys in a series of woes. 
Here's one of them. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Put up this slide. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are fully full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Man, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great. Like you're following all the commandments, but on the inside, you are wicked. Ouch. See, the thing about Jesus is Jesus has this terrifying vision. He has this like x-ray vision where he sees through all the exterior and he sees what's happening in the heart and minds of people. Like we, like we may look pretty good on the outside. We may look like whitewashed tombs on the outside, but Jesus sees right through that. We may not, for example, just take one example, like hopefully none of us have murdered anyone this week, but the people who annoy us, the people who we disagree with, we murder them in our hearts every day. We need the negatives. We need the thou shalt nots, but we need more than that. Jesus knows it because Jesus knows that the negatives ultimately must lead to positive, to the thou shalts. Those first couple commandments we looked at the last weeks, you know, don't have other gods, don't have idols, don't bow down before these images, right? This is a radical departure from, from what the other cultures around the Israelites are doing, and there's a lot of no's because, because Yahweh wants the Israelites to have radical loyalty to him, right? They don't say no to the other gods just as an end in itself. They say no to the other gods so that they can give their loyalty to Yahweh. Similar thing with these, uh, these last six commandments, okay? In these last six commandments, we're saying no to ourselves so we can say yes to our neighbor. Rolf Jacobson writes uh, that the point of these commandments, I like this line, is not your best life now, but rather your neighbor's best life now. Because the law isn't about you, it's about your neighbor. And God loves your neighbor so much that God gives you the law. And God loves you so much that God gives your neighbor the exact same law. I love that, right? In order to work, I've got to take this seriously, but you've got to take this seriously too. This is a challenge to me. Because I want you to look again at these two commandments uh, these two commandments Jesus gives me, I want you to focus on two little words, okay? All and yourself. Read these with me. Let me get this slide up first here. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, okay? Second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I was thinking about this passage as I was running through my neighborhood and I actually ran past a, like a literal neighbor of mine that was mowing his lawn. And I thought, man, that guy's a nice guy. We had him over once to a, a event in our neighborhood. We had this very good and cordial relationship. I like this guy. I mean, I would even, if that guy needed help, I'd be glad to go over and help him. I like that guy, but I love myself way more. I, I, I like him. I love myself. It's not even, it's not even close. Okay, let's think about the other one. I have loved God basically my whole life, hopefully. But have I ever loved God with every last bit of my heart, with every last bit of my soul, with every last bit of my mind and strength? I don't think so. I don't know. If it has, it's been very, very brief. And then think about one more word, the word commandment. 
Because Jesus is not giving a suggestion. He's giving a commandment. I was driving this week up, up near Youngstown. And I drove by this church uh, that has this marquee that said something like, these are not ten suggestions. Okay? I've seen something like this before. It's kind of a clever way of saying, look, these are ten commandments, not ten suggestions. And I was thinking about this as I was working on the sermon. And I, I would like to go up to the person who, who made that marquee and say, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on the ten commandments. Hopefully you heard me that earlier. But what about these commandments from Jesus? What about the commandment to love my neighbor as myself? Like, what if my neighbor is an illegal immigrant? What if my neighbor's Muslim? What if my neighbor's gay? Is that still a commandment? Or at that point, is it a suggestion? See, we, we, we bat around this language all the time of loving God and loving others as if that's like the most natural thing in the world for us to do. As if like I wake up in the morning, I think, Man, I wonder what I can do for my neighbor today. I wonder how I can help my neighbor live their best life today. Or, or we start thinking, if you're like me, I got this whole list of things I want to get done that day. Is the first thing on that list ever, man, I got to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind. I'll be honest with you, that's never the first thing on my to-do list. See, when I look at the, at the Ten Commandments, I'm doing well. But when I look at Jesus' commandments, I'm failing. What do we do with this realization? I don't think I'm alone here. Do we give up? Do we despair? No, we let it drive us to Jesus. We let it drive us to Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't give us just these, he doesn't just give us these commandments. He embodies them. He shows us what they actually look like to live out in day-to-day life. Like, think about one more time about the parent and the child or the teacher and the child. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. There's a point to that, but it's not an end in itself. Even redirecting the child, even giving the child a positive command, that's good, but that's still, there's something else you can do more as a teacher or a parent. You can model it for the child, right? And that's the best way to teach the child. Because now they have this real-life embodied example that they can look at and they can seek to imitate. See, when we realize how far, far we are, how far short we are of following these commands, we're driven to Jesus to look at him again and seek to imitate him. But here's the thing. I think this is so... I just, the older I get, the more I think this is true. Okay, the closer we grow in imitating Jesus the closer we actually get to, to living out these commands, imitating Jesus, the more aware we become of how far short we follow Jesus' example. John Stott kind of says it's like a, it's like a saint, saint's like a scientist. Okay? Um, the more a scientist finds out, the more that scientist realizes how little they know and how much is out there to discover. In the same way, Christians, as we grow in our imitation of Christ, the more we become aware of this vast chasm that separates us and Jesus. So what do we do? We're armed now with this realization that, that the more we actually become like Jesus, the more we realize we're actually not like Jesus. Then do we give up and do we despair? Because who could possibly follow these commandments? Now we should be driven to the cross. Now we're desperate. Now we've seen Jesus' example and we've recognized how far short we've fallen of now we're desperate. Now we got to get to the cross. Because now we don't just need Jesus as our example. We absolutely need that. But we need Jesus as our Savior. And Paul writes in Romans 3.21 this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made 
known, to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's the line I want you to focus on. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jesus is the only one who perfectly fills the commandments. Jesus does not murder. Jesus does not commit adultery. Jesus does not steal. Jesus does not give false testimony. Jesus does not covet. And Jesus perfectly loved the Father with all his might, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, and with all his mind. And Jesus perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. Through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, Jesus lived the life that we're called to live, but we fail to live. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law that we are required to fill, but we cannot do it. We cannot do it. Remember how I said to you that people who are, think they're perfect and follow the commandments, like you just want to run away from them? What's so fascinating about Jesus is Jesus is the opposite. He's perfect. He perfectly follows the law. He, he makes these wildly audacious and what we would call arrogant claims about who he is and what he's come to do. He's extremely self-important. Jesus thinks he's a big deal. And yet you always want to run towards Jesus. That's what's so amazing about Jesus. He is all that, and yet you want to move towards him. There's something magnetic about him. Let the negatives, let the law, let the thou shalt nots, let them drive you to the ultimate positive, to Jesus Christ, to follow him as your example, and to trust him as your savior.